0: Um, and, and I think we've noticed that journey mapping kind of brings teams together, um, shows how to move people to middle donor, move them to sustainer, or taking event donors and bringing them into the annual campaign. But to move people along, right? And to deepen and enrich their relationship with a nonprofit demands that teams work together, right? That attribution starts to fall to the side.
1: Hey group thinkers, welcome to another episode. Thanks for checking this one out. Uh, This episode includes my conversation with Mike Johnston, one of my favorite Canucks. Uh, Mike is the partner and founder at Hewitt and Johnston Consultants or or HJC as uh, it's commonly referred to in the space. Uh, Mike and I spend time on this episode talking about CX or customer experience or journey mapping as the buzz speak would have it in today's time. So uh, you're gonna hear a lot about what CX means In this episode, what it doesn't mean, um, try to debunk some of the theories around its application, how applicable it it is or isn't. Um, So, Mike's an expert on this. He's been doing journey mapping for a long time and uh, it's. So fun to get to catch up uh, with Mike. Um, in addition to you know being a journey mapping expert, I want to let you know a couple other things about Mike. Uh, he is an author, so he's written two separate books. Uh, one is the Fundraisers Guide to the Internet, and the second is the Nonprofit Guide to the Internet. Uh, and so, you know, he's got uh, you know that he's got uh, books and eBooks around internet strategies. And he is a consistent contributor into the space. Uh, if you want to learn more about Mike, you can look up HJC, HJC New Media, and learn more about him. Hey, um, we are uh, talking about CX over on Twitter and so uh, feel free to throw a follow to at GroupThinkers on Twitter. You can check us out there. Uh, talk to myself as well as Mike and others in the space. Uh, so enjoy this episode. Enjoy the chat with Mike and we'll talk more on the other side. Uh, I want to welcome... Mike Johnson to an episode of Group Thinkers. Mike, uh, how are you today? It's good to chat with you.
0: I'm doing great. I'm glad we can get together and uh, chat about an industry we love. It's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, typically when we chat, we also talk about uh, a sport that we love, in soccer. So <laughs> if if that creeps in, the listeners, if if they're not. Uh, football fans I mean, they will be eventually if they keep listening but um, we're not going to spend too much time on your Toronto FC or my FC Dallas today uh, but we are going to spend a lot of time talking about user experience and customer experience and customer is because that's something that uh, that you're an expert on and so I'm super excited to talk with you uh, about that practice and that discipline but before we do uh, I want you to share your journey. How in the world did you end up in nonprofit land?
0: Yeah, I I, I think in the end uh, and and the very start, I'm just an omnivorous person. So uh, interested in the world, uh, you know. Back uh, at university, I did five wasted years of policy study, and uh, and and so I knew the third sector uh, existed because writing policy papers um, about sort of public policy and how it's created, um, sitting in school, you know, reading some books, it said that there was this third sector and I went, Oh, that's super interesting. <laughs> you know, there's private enterprise and, you know, industry and commerce out there and there's government, uh, but there's this other thing. So, so it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I, I, I was either going to be a policy wonk um, for a, a lobby firm, you know, lobbying government and affecting policy. But then I also knew in the back of my mind that there was this third sector and I applied for some fundraising jobs back in the 80s and uh, interviewed at uh, the first direct mail fundraising company in Canada, Stephen Thomas, uh, and and that's where I started. So I kind of thank my uh, public policy professors for reminding me that there was a third sector. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's it's cool that you you know you have that uh, that revelation that opens your eyes to it and your journey has taken you to uh you know to hjc and also mm-hmm. a little bit about hjc what what you guys do the areas where you work for those who may not be familiar sure
0: i mean we started back in uh, 1992 uh you know we started out of my house and then in a uh, few years later we, we started to get bigger and we moved into a warehouse and uh, in this part of the city in the west end of Toronto and uh, back in uh, you know the mid 90s uh, there was nobody uh, nobody in our industrial area uh, except uh, porn companies and HJC and tumbleweed and and that had a profound impact on us because When we started, we were a traditional direct response company. So we did direct mail and telephone. Um, That's all you could do back in the early nineties pretty well. Uh, But in about 1995, 96, uh, Greenpeace and Amnesty came to us and said, Hey, um, there's this online stuff happening. Like, how do you take credit cards online? And I said, Oh my gosh, porn company right down the hallway. They know how to do this already. And so I walked down the hall. uh, They taught my technical guys how to take credit cards. And then, you know, 97, 98, uh, we built the first e-commerce platforms with greenpeace.org, international, and amnesty.org. So a lot of people don't know. I mean, you know, e-commerce to make the world a better place came out of the porn industry in the same way that the internet came out of the Department of Defense in the U.S. Um, Right. Right so so that's so we got in very early uh, started in traditional direct response started uh you know by happen chance um you know we just knew companies sitting in our same building and i'd say around 97 98 we were running campaigns for the body shop uh, anita roddick the founder of the body shop in the uk uh and then some early e-commerce uh, and really just took our direct response principles at the time um, from direct mail and telephone and just applied them to, to early online giving. So that, that's really where we, where we started.
1: You know, the uh, what's amazing to me is that it's the same today, right? You take classic direct response principles and you apply them to the emergence of channels. So whatever the channel of the day is that y- you still have this basic application of normal direct response principles and that's where really good direct marketers excel is not getting lost in uh in confusing the direct response principles or misuse of those um i had no idea that 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 was your origin story origin story love hearing it i really do uh so an area where where your team are subject matter experts uh, is the, the donor journey or customer mm-hmm. journey or CX. And it's got mm-hmm. multiple different ways That's of right. describing it. So I'm, I'll call it CX for the remainder of the time. But when I say, that, I'm really referring to customer journeys or donor journeys. Uh, yeah. and it's, it, we're at this point where it's really borderline buzzy. Like it's just, it, it's mm-hmm. thrown around quite a bit. And, uh, and oh. so uh, I would love for you to help demystify it and just explain Mm -hmm. without any of the buzz around it. What exactly is journey mapping and why should, or why do people engage in this process?
0: Yeah. So, so let's, let's admit that we've done journey mapping for decades. So even back in the days, you know, 20 years, let's say it's 20 years ago, we were doing journey mapping more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But what was it like then? It was um, channel driven. So how do we coordinate the channels? So let's say it's Greenpeace Quebec and uh, we were working out a journey for a donor. We would, I mean, we would get on the wall with paper and we would write down, okay, someone made a gift for the first time. What do we do? I think we send them a welcome package. Oh, excellent. Let's write that up there. Now, what do we do? I think we'll call them and upgrade them. Oh, okay. Excellent. And then what? I think we'll send them a, an episodic special direct mail package next. Excellent. Put that up. Then what? Then we'll call them. Oh, excellent. And then what? Let's mix it up. Let's call them again. Um, so so it's simply plot. Journey mapping was plotting channels. That's it. The big difference uh, in CX mapping, customer experience mapping um, is how multi-dimensional our mapping is now so we're simply right working as cross-functional teams and and drawing and thinking and common problem solving together right the journey that includes channel coordination but but now includes things like how are people feeling attitudes layering on what's in the ecosystem supporting the donor experience so we've been able to move from that very simplistic channel journey that we've done for decades uh, if not longer and now we borrowed from the commercial sector right this design thinking cx liturgy that's uh, you know pretty darn dense but not complicated as a way to help and here's my my main perspective it's cx or journey mapping is a way to stand in the shoes of the donor that it's it's it forces us to be donor centric and for both of us who've been in the sector for a while we know that institutional ego and you know organizations thinking about themselves first and not the donor is the is a an eternal dynamic tension and so CX mapping sort of forces us through its design to, to stand in the shoes of the donor, to exhibit cognitive empathy, right? To, to think what's it like to be them. And, and so that, that's, for me, that's the most important piece that it forces us to stand in the donor's shoes and, and it does more than just coordinate the channels.
1: And, and it really, it, it helps that process of. Of, right, of putting yourself in in their shoes helps break down internal silos, internal biases, internal yeah. preconceived notions, just as much as the
0: strategic planning. It it it's- I, I mean, one one of the most important things, uh, and I'm just hoping you can hear me. Um, shake yeah. your head. Yes, you can. Good. Um, We're good. You know, one of the most important things for us is. Um, getting away from what I would say is the dual silo of, of North American fundraising within organizations. And that's a silo off in the corner of major gift fundraising. And then there's a silo over here of kind of annual campaign and a lot of direct mail. And then there's kind of a wasteland in between. Um, And, and I think we've noticed that journey mapping Kind of brings teams together, um, shows how to move people to middle donor, move them to sustainer or taking event donors and bringing them into the annual campaign. But to move people along, right, and to deepen and enrich in their relationship with a nonprofit demands that teams work together right? That attribution starts to fall to the side, right? That, you know, fighting over, you know, the donor dollars within what department just needs to end because donors don't think that way. Um, and, and so we, we just see the mapping as a process to, you know, put the donor at the center of it, start to, start to dissolve some of those big silos um, and give a more holistic relationship um, in the nonprofit sector. We use this
1: tool to do that. So, uh, I love that you're talking about the coexistence factor. Um, so Mm -hmm. I've I've recently read a number of things and some of it was just in advance of us chatting, uh, because I wanted to challenge some of your thinking and draw some of the stuff out of you. Um, Mm -hmm. but so I've read a lot about, uh, of UX experts, pushing Mm -hmm. back on the use of personas and the use of journeys that they're fabricated and that they're feel goods internally, but they're not based in enough data reality for application. So Mm -hmm. how do you respond to that idea of someone who's on the UX side says, Oh, that's look, that's a hogwash. Like this is not really what our donor looks like. We're all, inserting ourselves into what the cx looks like as opposed to using ux testing principles to help yeah. define it how do you how do you wrestle with that
0: yeah well you know when people say you know when they ask how can cx and U- ux coexist and uh, i mean my answer to that is how can they not and and here's why <laughs> i mean they have to i mean ux is very tactical right often digitally focused right? Um, short-term perspective and, and I get it. So for us, you know, you, and we, you know, we often do UX mapping and then, and we also do CX mapping. And so if we do UX mapping, you know, what, what, what are the kinds of empirical things we're gathering, um, before we're going to do journey mapping? Well, I mean, in a wonderful technology driven World, we're going to apply some tools to a website for a nonprofit and we're going to survey people. So, you came to do this, right, on this website. You came to get a volunteer form filled out. You came to make a donation. You came to do these things. And we're going to see the percentage of people who complete all of those tasks right we're also going to if possible survey and get some demographic information on the different users of different parts of a website and then we're going to take that data and we're going to craft personas right that are empirically driven so so for people to say you know they can i don't i don't really get it quite frankly because we're going to use data driven tools right to analyze both ux and cx experiences we're going to craft the personas and the journeys based on the data we have at hand, but but the mapping brings the human element together. So, you know, you and I would agree. Like, we can have data-driven nonprofit organizations. We can have data analysts internally. We can have great CRMs, but if people don't get along and don't right, don't coordinate then your best laid empirical plans lie in ashes at the feet of cultural and structural disconnect. So, well, so actually, I actually UX and CX need to sit together, right? To, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished.
1: This episode of group thinkers is brought to you by holidays to the myth and reality behind giving in December, 2018. Did you know that one in five donors reported giving less to nonprofits last December? I know that for organizations that we work with, things were great through November, even maybe the first week of December. And then compared to what we had traditionally seen in the last three weeks of December, things started to dry up. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who noticed a sudden drop in donations compared to what we are used to with December. So some questions started to pop up into the nonprofit marketing ether. Was it the tax laws? Was it the economy? Was it the government shutdown? Well, we decided to find answers from the donors perspective. So RKD group partnered with McQueen, Mackin and Associates to conduct a unique study speaking directly to donors to find out why giving dropped so drastically last December. You can download the full white paper at givingindecember.com, find out exactly what donors had to say about their changing giving behavior, and use that to build your strategies going into year-end 2019. So head over to givingindecember.com, download the white paper, and now back to group thinkers. it's too simplistic for me to say this but I'm gonna say it anyway uh, the you know there's something about the balance of UX and CX which I almost parallel to the the two sides of the brain or the head and the heart however you want to play it out and you have to balance both of those things and yes to your point like the there's power in having the data-driven strategies and the empirical driven strategies you layer all those in and you're donors or prospective donors still respond with their heart, not with the logical side. And in the, you know, Mm -hmm. I had a, a, a wonderful, uh, a couple of wonderful conversations, you know, with Bernard Ross around this idea of, you know, that people use illogical ration uh, rationale to make decisions. And so the, some of the CX mapping breaks down those biases internally Mm-hmm. leveraging that data uh you know, so that you can work strategically together to move forward. I agree with you. They they have to coexist. How can they not coexist? It's uh it's, I, I think the root of when people push back on on CX it's that they're missing the application. Right. And that they're, that's
0: right. That's
1: right. They're, they're missing how it actually benefits them as an organization. That's, that's kind of my, my strategy, right?
0: I, I mean, yeah, I mean, back to your point, like we're talking about human endeavor. <laughs> so you cannot distill everything down to numbers, right? The numbers need to inform the human interactions right so i mean that that's where these two things need to come together so yeah no it's
1: cool yeah so uh so let's let's shift you know one of the things that uh, HJC is uh is a part of in addition to the six mapping that you do you know there is a digital outlook report that uh you your team co creates along with the mm-hmm. 2 and the fine folks at N10. And, uh, and so that was published within the last uh, couple of months for 2019. Uh, and there's a lot of really interesting findings in there, uh, that kind of speak to digital transformation. So this is the second kind of demystification that I want to do in our conversation is to talk about digital transformation. What are some of the big takeaways that you recall from that Outlook report for this year or, the scale of what this digital transformation idea looks like for nonprofits different sizes yeah. yeah
0: so so if we take the historical view right I, mean, I think this is the fourth or fifth digital outlook report that we've done that that we you know we we see and it makes sense in the nonprofit sector, we have limited resources right we we have limited skill sets, um you know we have uh, I would say. You know, leadership um, challenges because of all of those rationed resources. And so, when we look at digital transformation and we compare ourselves to the commercial sector, we're um, noticeably and understandably behind. I mean, it's just a reality, right? It's. I, I think this is the dynamic tension and the worry and and some of the chatter that happens. Sometimes it comes from a board of directors, right, of a nonprofit to say. Where are we on digital transformation, my friends? And uh, because, you know, at my company, PWC, you know, we are truly digitally transformed or, you know, Ernst & Young does this really well. Like they, they have more resources, they have more skills and, and nonprofits are, you know, a lot of them are just scraping by. And, and so what we see in the reports are, um, you know, a, a skills deficit. Uh, in trained digital staff, uh, a a deficit in the number of people on board who are doing digital, right? Um, A a lack of strategic written planning about digital transformation, uh, and and a lack of investment money, right? To to do digital transformation. But these are all natural outcomes of being in a sector that has rationed resources uh, compared to other sectors. And so, I think it's very difficult for us to look across the aisle at the commercial sector and say, Oh my God. Now the dynamic tension is a philanthropic consumer is a commercial consumer. And so I think it's jarring for a lot of donors to kind of go through this great Amazon experience. And then, and then part of their soul turns to make a donation online or on their mobile phone. And they go, Oh, my God, that's a horrible experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. right. You're right. So, so but, and, and so for us, digital transformation is how, how do we cost affordably, um, you know, speak to an increasingly savvy cross-generational subset in a way that makes us effective when we sort of keep people and convert them. And, and I think one of the keys, buddy, is the mobile phone. We kind of just have to kind of graft onto that and say, this is where, you know, transformation is happening in the commercial world. And and I think we need to kind of think about the backbone infrastructure and customer experience for the donor around the mobile phone as a way to cost affordably, kind of give as best an experience as possible that they're used to on the other side number of weeks ago i went on on a, a, a trip a road trip from indianapolis stopped in in cincinnati and went on to uh um to uh, columbus with my daughter and the thing i was taken aback by was the number of amazon prime trucks on the highway i mean endless numbers and and it was a reminder to me that the digital transformation is happening on the commercial side i mean I pick up the New York times or the Washington post every other day, there's another, you know, retailer going under in the United States and Canada. Um, and so on that side, digital transformation is being disruptive. Um, you know, it's the ease of using your mobile phone to order everything in your life and having it delivered. I, I, I think those are the places we need to concentrate with limited and rationed resources. Um, we, we just need to find the most concentrated ways um, to talk to the philanthropic consumer. And for us, it's uh, things like um, the mobile phone.
1: So, okay, so I got this thought that kind of pops in as you're speaking about that Midwest journey that you uh, went on and uh, the power of the phone and how we're more reliant than ever on these little supercomputers that we carry around mm. for all sorts of communication. I mean, we're, you know, we're speaking to each other and recording this podcast with, you know, the use of technology based in a phone, right? So, um, the, if we're more reliant than ever and we're seeing retail suffer, maybe because of a lack of digital transformation. I saw, you know, last week, uh, a a long-time stalwart retail payless is closing mm-hmm. all of its stores, right? And and mm-hmm. it's just one of many folks that are closing all of its stores. That perhaps a lack of digital transformation is forcing, yeah, some of these these retail industry or retail uh, retailers to close versus the Amazons that are getting a ride, or even grocers who are investing in digital technology and digital transformation to allow for curbside pickup and delivery and ordering through your phone and and all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. now you've got that, that on one side, and then you have now 1.6 million nonprofits in the U S and more than that when you count U S and Canada, Mm -hmm. is there coming, a moment in time where those that don't transform are going to suffer to the point of closing their doors the same way that we're seeing in the retail industry? What do you think? I, I think so. I, I mean, I think, I think
0: that's going to happen in some way, shape or form because the nonprofit sector, the, you know, the nonprofit economy has parallels right to the commercial economy. So I, I think there will be disruption and, um, absorption. Uh, but, but I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to say, you know, not only is there digital transformation happening, but we also notice in the commercial sector, the rise of analog again. So, so, so I think for organizations to truly kind of future proof themselves, they need to continue to pilot and prototype how, you know, direct mail to younger people, right? In conjunction with um, a great digital experience as a way to keep people interested and connected. So when we look at the next generation of giving report that we've done for Black, with BlackBaud and Canvio in the past, uh, when you look at younger age subsets, they like getting the mail as much as older people. It doesn't mean they transact, right, with that channel. But actually, in that next gen report, over the years, a high percentage of young people like getting the mail. They don't get a lot of it. You know, it's why you know I was in um, I was in Los Angeles last week, and I walked by uh, a vinyl record factory, right? That's booming. So you know, people are buying vinyl records again. So it, so it's finding that balance. Clearly, digital transformation is. You know something that we need to take into account, but where do you find the strategic places to keep that analog, right? That hands-on, that tactile opportunity across generations. So, I mean, all that being said, Justin, it means what a complicated fundraising world. Really? Yeah. Holy. Really is. I mean, it's my God. It's it's yeah. It's it's amazing, and so for us, Justin, I wanted to you know, for us at HJC, you know, how are we trying to stay ahead of all of this? Um, we're super lucky. We our managing partner. Um, Karen Sibright, uh, was the youngest PhD in engineering in the UK in a hundred years. And, uh, she was nominated to go to space, uh, in the Russia, in the European space program. So she's super smarty. We've been able to bring her across and, um, we're, Uh, where she's curating at a fundraising conference in two weeks, an innovation fair. So she's bringing early stage tech companies, right. To, to be on display and interact with these nonprofits. So, you know, giving a chance for these nonprofits to have the opportunities that commercial organizations have where you're often having innovation fairs and you, you go to incubators to see early stage companies, we're not getting an opportunity to meet those companies and find those opportunities. So for HJC, we're trying to take that innovation center incubation kind of approach and, and begin to offer it to the nonprofit sector.
1: I absolutely love that uh, for sure. That's, that's something exciting and and I can't wait to hear on the backside of some of the ideas and learnings and, uh thoughts that come from the innovation fair hey mike last thing as as we wrap today uh where can people find you online where can they connect with you where can they connect with Uh, HJC?
0: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do it the old-fashioned way and i'm gonna do it the tactile way right so so you, you can people can bug me on my cell phone right so they can call me at 416-524-0740 416-524-0740 or throw me a text. Um, I, I am uh, married to my cell phone like every listener. So that's the best way to get me. Or you can send me uh, an email uh, at mjohnston, that's M-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N at com. So you can, best way to get me is my cell phone. Um, or shoot me an email, and uh, happy to talk about any of this.
1: Mike, it's so fun catching up uh, and and hearing about some of the stuff that you guys are doing. Always love chatting with you and and appreciate you taking time to visit with us today.
0: Yeah, pleasure. And uh, maybe uh, Dallas FC and Toronto FC will be meeting in the playoffs somehow.
1: You know, I I would love that. Maybe we'll meet in the cup again one day or meet in the cup at some point.
0: Yeah, it'd
1: be cool. <laughs> okay. All right, so there's the uh, there's the convo with Mike Johnston from HJC. Uh, something he said that stood out to me, limited resources, limited skill sets, the challenges that are growing and the deficit in the number of people on board for digital transformation, the deficit in the number of people. Uh, man, we are in a... Uh, a time where we, we can't afford to have people not be on board with digital transformation. And so, um, you know, I admire the work that, that Mike does. And, you know, whenever he says, let's admit that we've been doing journey mapping for, uh, for decades, he's on to something. He's on to something. Now, the speed at which digital is changing the sector is so rapid. And it's truly incredible. And so, uh, you know, I, I love the opportunity f- to get to connect with people like Mike and, and other thought leaders in, in the space that are keenly aware of how to leverage that change. Hopefully you enjoyed the chat as much as I did whenever he and I got to catch up. Uh, so, um, hey, mention it at the outset. Uh, throw us a follow uh, at GroupThinkers on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also check out at RKD Group. On those same platforms Facebook LinkedIn all the different things and places and stuff where you have feeds Um, and uh, don't forget to subscribe to group thinkers in your podcast app of choice we're on all of them and so you can tune in to us on all of them but just be sure to hit that subscribe button that way whenever we post new seasons you are notified. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and we'll stream directly into uh, the next one in your feed. All right. We'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks goes out to the production team including ryan mellinger as well as our content marketing team suzanne holly and carly for their work on this and every episode of group thinkers